Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, and we're starting kind of a new section. Romans 1 through 4 is seen as kind of one little section where Paul really lays the foundation, and 5 through 8 are kind of seen as a section. If, if you're familiar with Romans 8, it's probably one of the most popular chapters in all of Scripture, the uh, what can separate us from the love of God uh, chapter. And you, if you pay attention, you'll probably notice that this chapter 5 and chapter 8, the ending, they kind of are bookends to this section of just talking about how nothing can separate us from the love of God. And, and you'll see that here. So if you're, if you're ready, we're going to be in Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... So Paul is, this is a great clue. He's saying, I've laid this foundation that all of us are guilty and there's nothing we can do to deserve our righteousness with God. But God died for us so that if we have faith in Christ, in his faithfulness, we can be made right with God. We can be justified, not on anything on a court of our own, but because of him. So he's saying, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, here is what you need to know. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You're going to see that word a few times, this boasting. And if you remember, this last, what we've been reading has been saying, none of you have any room to boast in, your, in the fact that you're uh, of Hebrew descent. You don't have anything to boast about whether you've been circumcised, whether you have a badge of the covenant family. You don't have anything to boast if you've done a great job keeping the law. None of us have anything to boast about. But now Paul is telling us what we can boast about. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory or boast or celebrate in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This last line, verse 8, I'm not uh, some scholar about the Trinity, uh, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and I really don't know, understand how it works because we're supposed to say they're one and we're also kind of supposed to say they're all unique in their own ways. But here is a great place where you need to recognize some Trinity language here because it says in verse 8, but God demonstrated his love because Christ died for us. And in some ways, that doesn't sound right. It would be like if I said, you know what, uh, hey, Sammy, I could really use some help. And Sammy is so generous to come and help Catherine and I that he sent Terry to help us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Does that make sense? It's like, no, wait a second. That's not good love. If you, you know what, I love those Richies. I want to help them out. Terry, could you go over there? That's, that's not service. And that's what it reads, right? It says that God demonstrates his love for us that he sent Christ to die for us. That doesn't sound right, unless you have a healthy understanding of God and Christ are one. Christ is the, the enfleshment, 
or as we say more often, he is the incarnate of God's love lived out among us. You have to see this. And this is crucial because as I keep saying, now, it doesn't seem right that the way God had to make us right was by sacrificing his son, by like saying, you know what? You go out there and you take one for the team, son. Well, if you understand that God and Jesus are one, you understand that it's God taking one for the team through himself, his son. Okay, so just wanted to point that out. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God, we boast, we celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so I want to break this passage up into three main things I want to talk about. And the first one comes in the very opening line where it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, not through our works, not through our ethnicity, not through being of the right covenant birth family, but we have been justified and made right by faith in Christ, the number one thing it says that it centers, all this centers on, is that we have peace with God. Since we have been justified, the very next words are so important, we have peace with God. And I want you to understand this isn't the same as the peace of God. And plenty of times in Scripture we talk about the peace of God, meaning this calmness that we experience, this sense of uh, kind of just being able to go through the difficult times because we have this peace of God washing over us. Peace with God is like a status of we're, we're good. So I want you to think, I want you to think for a second of a time where, and I know all of us have experienced this at some small scale or a big scale. At some point in your life, you've had a time where you and someone you love were not on a good page with each other, right? You can all think of a time where you and someone you deeply cared about and love deeply, whether it was a sibling, whether it was a friend, whether it was a parent, y'all were not on good terms, right? That's happened before. I want you to picture how you felt or how you still feel in that moment. I want you to picture how you go to bed at night and how you lose sleep. I want you to picture how your health overall, just all of your health is being impacted by this tension you have with this person or had. And now I want you to imagine just with a snap of a finger that you are completely and totally on a great page with them, that everything is restored. Everything is exactly how you would want it to be. Wouldn't that just be the most incredible feeling just to be like, oh man, I would love to have that kind of reconciliation. I would love for that all to be just made right. This is what you should picture when you think of the peace with God. This idea that in the Old Testament, the word peace doesn't just mean like an absence of conflict. It's more than that. It means your whole being has been put back into place. The broken pieces are all not just healed, but they're even better than they were before. Paul, or, yeah, Paul says in verse 2, he says, um, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Depending on your translations, some of your translations might even say the word approach. We're now able to approach. And you're supposed to get this imagery of God's temple and how throughout times in God's history, people's history, you were not allowed to approach God's temple unless you had certain things right with your life. You know, the story, the classic story of when Jesus died on the cross and the veil was torn. 
that separated people from being able to have presence with God, uh, be able to draw near to God. And this is what Paul is saying. Because you've been justified through faith, you now are on completely and totally amazing terms with God. And it's not just that he's forgiven you. It's not that he's just said, okay, we're good. But he's invited you into his presence and you are able to stand before him completely and totally in the right with him. And if you've ever experienced that feeling of tension with someone and wanting so badly for that to be made right, just imagine it a million times more with it being the God of the universe and your creator. And that feeling of we are in the right. We are completely and totally reconciled. Not just we're good, but come be with me, come live with me, dwell with me, be in my presence. Another thing that is important in this, still in verse 2, when it says we boast in the hope of the glory of God, I want to I remind you all that this phrase, the glory of God, has two ideas. One is God's glory, God's amazingness, His love, His, His righteousness, all these wonderful things. We, we want to experience that glory. But also, whenever Paul uses this phrase in Romans, it has another meaning too, which is that when you were created, God created you to have His glory in you. You were designed not just to be animals. We are not just bears or wolves or dogs. They don't have the glory of God on them. Does that make sense? But we do. And what Paul has been saying since chapter 3 is that every time we choose to put our trust and idolize something else, we decay that glory a little bit more every time. Every time I'm stuck in a tough situation and I choose to say, you know what, I'm going to go this route instead of turning to God, I have now decayed the glory that he wanted me to have a little bit more. And so what you should see is part of this is not only are we hoping in the glory of God of seeing God's glory, but we are hoping in the glory that he is now restoring to us through Jesus Christ. Through our faith in Christ, this loss of the glory that we've been allowing to decay by handing ourselves over to all these other idols and gods, God has said, I want to give it back to you. I want you to have all that glory. And that as we grow from the Holy Spirit, we're going to continue to grow more and more into that glory that he made for us. Here's a great quote from N.T. Wright that I think summarizes this idea. When we stand there in God's presence, not trembling, but deeply grateful, and begin to inhale his goodness, inhale his power, inhale his wisdom and his joy, you sense that you are being invited to become the true reflections of God, to bear the glory of God on ourselves, in our person, in, our, in the way we love the way we show joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the glory, we will become the true image bearers that we were made to be. The second thing comes in verse 3, the second big section of what I think we need to take from this passage, is this phrase where he says, not only so, but we also boast or glory in our sufferings. And this is one of those classic texts where we have to go, come on, Paul, you know, have you actually been through some sufferings to be able to say this? Because this is not pleasant for us to talk about. But what I, what I want you to hear, this is very important, and I, everything I read says that this is true. We do not boast in the suffering. We do not have something bad happen to us and go, Woo! I'm so glad that bad thing happened to me. That is crucial. Do not see it say, boast in the suffering. What you are supposed to do is in the midst of your suffering, you are still supposed to boast in the glory of God, okay? The boasting hasn't switched from, well, first we're boasting about God, 
and the glory of God and the hope of God. Now we're boasting in the fact that uh, we had a terrible diagnosis of health, that we lost everything in the flood, that my marriage is falling apart. Yay! That's not, that's not what we're supposed to do. But so many people have taken it as, well, you know what? Those bad things, they're, they're good things, actually. No, no, no. Don't boast in those. But what Paul would say is, is that when you are in the midst of suffering, which for all of us will be over and over in our lives, some for years, some for months, some for decades, when you're in the midst of that, we should still boast in the hope and the glory of God in the midst of that. This means there is, you know, for God, God does not enjoy pain and troubles in our lives. But as a Christian, we know that going through suffering... When we're able to still boast in the hope and the glory of God, we are able to see some things, some positive things, that we were able to take from that. A Christian does not just face the suffering with gritted teeth, saying, okay, this is in the Bible, it tells me I'm supposed to like this. That's not what we do. What we do is we look through the sufferings and we think about the certainties, the hopes and the promises that we have in God. We rest in the knowledge that these sufferings will only increase our appreciation of the fact that it doesn't have the end of the story. It does not determine the end of our story. Um, one of the ways that Paul does this is he shows that our suffering has this incremental thing that happens. But, but let me, before I get to there, verse 5, it says, our hope does not put us to shame. One thing that I think people would have experienced back then, which we still can experience now, the question that Paul is imagining when he writes this is he's imagining someone saying, okay, Paul, I'm supposed to have hope in what God's going to do someday, but what am I supposed to do whenever it doesn't look very hopeful right now? And all my neighbors are going to look at me and say, are you seriously sticking with this Jesus guy in the midst of this? You're going to feel embarrassed or ashamed, ashamed at times. You're going to be a little embarrassed that you said, you know what, I do give my life to this, and yet it doesn't seem to decrease the amount of suffering I'm going through. And your neighbors are kind of going to be like, get a load of this guy. Look, get a load of this girl. She's spent all this time like going to Sunday morning class. She's spent all this time doing all the right things, and yet she has nothing to show for it. That can be embarrassing. It can put you to shame. And Paul says, we are not ashamed because we know that our sufferings are not the thing that has the last answer. And we're able to see through them and we're able to still have hope in the glory of God. But the, prog the progression that I talked about earlier, we have it here, you have it in your Bibles. He says, when we rejoice in the glory of God in suffering, it produces perseverance and that per perseverance leads to character and that leads to hope. And let's talk about those three because frankly, uh, the character part doesn't make a ton of sense to me because what you think it means is it's saying like you're going to become like a, a good high-standing person. That's not what the word means in Greek. So the first one, let's talk about perseverance though. This word in Greek literally is about single-minded focus. That when you hope in the glory of God in the midst of your sufferings, you will develop a single focus on what is most important. And I know every single one of you who've ever been through anything can completely relate to this. If you talk to every person that lost their home during Hurricane Harvey, the number one thing they would say is, you know what? It really helped me realize what actually is important in life. When I lost all my house and all my possessions, it was a good reality check of, you know what? That's not what's most important. I, want, I would like to see some heads nodding here. When you go through the valley, it has a way of burning away the chaff of what's important in your life. This is a 
benefit of when you choose to have hope in the glory of God in the midst of sufferings. You experience, as he would say, single-minded focus or perseverance on what matters. The next thing, character. This word in Greek literally means a testedness, a refining of your, uh, what you're made of, if that makes sense. That one of the benefits of this is that you're truly able to see what you're made of. And not in kind of a, like, whether you're strong enough to get through it, but more in a whether your trust is in the right places or not. Uh, If I'm very thankful, I've said this before, I'm very thankful that every doctor that's ever going to do a surgery on me or my wife or my family has to go through a lot of testing. Do they do that to be mean? No. Do they do that because they are trying to be too harsh? No, they do it because they know we need to see what you're made of whenever that person is on the table, unconscious, and stuff happens that isn't what you expected. And if you can't pass those tests, you don't get to have the scalpel, right? But if you do pass the test, then you get to have the scalpel, and you get to go through that procedure. And part of what Paul is saying is, you know what, one of those benefits of hoping in the glory of God in the midst of suffering is you are able to say, wow, you know what? My hope really wasn't in Christ during this time. I really panicked whenever I lost everything because my hope was in my house and in my money and my possessions. And then that leads you to go, I actually would want it, my, my character and my testedness to be on the right things. And you're able to grow from that. And then the last thing he says is hope, which is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but this idea of we have a stronger and more confident awareness of the the peace and security that we have, the confidence we have in God holding our future. The benefits of, as Paul would say, therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace with God. He says it almost in three kinds of ways. He says, you have peace with God. You are, in the past, God has reconciled you. In the present, you are standing before God completely and totally one with him. And in the future, you can still hope in the glory of God. He does this cool past, present, and future. That the justification that comes through faith in Christ has taken care of the past, the present, and the future. And you're able to stand with confidence, even in the midst of your struggles. I want to make one point, and then I'll move on to the third one, or one little side thing. If you are someone who believes you are made right with God by what you do and how well you do it, then sufferings and bad things coming in your life are things that will break you and will not make you. Does that make sense? All those benefits that Paul lists of the benefits of of glorifying God in the midst of suffering, you will not get to experience any perseverance or any endurance or any hope if you think you're the reason why you're made right with God. Because when the sufferings come, your first reaction is what? I must not be doing this right. I must not be praying hard enough. I must not be faithing enough. I must not be attending Bible class enough. But if you know that you are justified by faith alone, then you are capable of being able to go through those sufferings, glorifying God and saying, you know what? This is helping me see what's really important. This is helping me see what I'm made of and what my trust is really in. And this is helping my hope in God grow, my confidence grow. It is when we suffer, we really find out what we are trusting in, ourselves or God. Okay, third and final point. This is the question that you can almost imagine whenever we're talking about sections verses 6 through 11. You have this idea that you have these Christians in Rome that are going to read this letter and they're going to say to Paul, Okay, Paul, I believe you. Jesus has justified me, and in the end, he is going to 
be justi- I'm going to be justified in the hope of the glory of God in the end too. But what about in between? Is God and Jesus, are they going to be able to keep me justified all along the way? Whether you've said that question out loud to yourselves or not, we've all thought it. We've thought, I know Jesus saves me, and I have a confidence that he's going to save me. But what about along the way? Is there any chance that I'm not going to make it because I don't do enough along the way? Okay, you hear what I'm saying? Paul is thinking of this question when he says this. If you look at some of these confusing parts where he says, while you were powerless, Christ died for the, for the ungodly, when you were all ungodly. And he says, nobody, very rarely, is anybody going to die for anybody, especially a bad person. Now, he says, now maybe if you were a good person, someone might be willing to die for you. But how amazing is it that God demonstrates how much he loves you and wants to make you right, that even while you were his enemies, he died, he sent his son to die for you. And so part of the logic that Paul is saying is, if you think that it's amazing that God justified you while you were an enemy, how much more do we have confidence that he's going to keep us right now that we're no longer enemies with God? Does that make sense? He's saying, listen, it's incredible what Jesus did for you when you were an enemy. Now, because of your faith in Christ, you're no longer an enemy. So how much more is he going to make sure that you get to this hope and this glory now that you're right with him? It's, it's the classic thing that Jesus even says. He says, if God clothes the, the lilies of the field, how much more will he clothe you? If God, if God uh, feeds the birds of the air, they do not stow or uh, they do not sow or reap or stow away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them will he not much more feed you oh you of little faith this idea of yeah if god did this here how much more for you and and he even says it in verse 9 too you are justified by christ dying for you so if he did that for you in his death how much more is he going to do for you in his resurrection in his life in his living coming out of the tomb and so this last part that I think is so important is we ask this question, how can we know that God will justify us? How can we know that God is really going to see us through? And, Christ, and Paul says, well, Christ died for you while you were still an enemy. And if he had died for you while you were an enemy, how much more is he going to love you and make you right and justify you now that you are in the righteous, this righteous state with God? If Jesus stayed on the cross when we were enemies, how much more will he keep us saved as justified friends? If he saved us while we were hostile, will he not save us even more as his, on the right page, as his friends, as his covenant family? How could he give up on you now? If Jesus achieved our salvation through his death, how much more will he maintain our salvation, which is he is currently alive doing through his Holy Spirit? So this is what I, how I want to conclude, and I think what's so important in all this. For Paul, it is crucial that we set this stage, and you're going to see it come to completion in Romans 8, this idea of at any point you find yourself wondering, well, is, is God really going to see this through to the end? You're still holding on to the idea that whether you do enough or not is going to determine whether you're made right. You still haven't been able to let that go. And Paul wants you to just let it go. He wants you to know you are at peace with God and you can come before him and you can have hope in the glory of God. This hope that God is going to be transforming you through his spirit more and more into the people he made you to be. And if any of you are going through sufferings and you think, well, maybe, maybe this isn't actually true. Maybe God isn't going to see this to the end. Paul says, no, actually, that's an invitation for you even more to realize that in the midst of those sufferings, He is capable of showing you what really matters. He's capable of 
continuing to, to bless you and guide you more and more into the images of who we were created to be, people who glory in the hope of God. If any of you would like, have any prayer requests, if any of you are really, really interested in learning more about a life that sounds, wait, you're telling me I can live a life that's not dependent on how well I do everything, but just on my faith in Christ? If you'd like to know more about that, we'd love to talk to you. We can talk now or anytime this week. Feel free to email us if you're watching online. And if you have any prayer requests, if you're going through suffering and you need help praying for you to be able to see the hope of the glory of God in the midst of it, I'd encourage you to come and talk with us. The elders will be standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing.